Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Mark Gale. He's the CEO and a partner at Charleston, Norwig, and we're going to be talking about uh, lab-grown meat and plant-based proteins. So, Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. Thanks, Rich. Yeah. So, tell me about uh, you know the firm Charleston, Norwig. What's uh, what do you guys do? Okay. Well, we're a, a marketing, a strategic marketing and communications firm. I mean, used one day, I suppose in the past you might have called us an advertising agency, but uh, we help clients in the food system. So anything from uh, Texas Roadhouse restaurants down to uh, some agricultural clients working uh, in the microbiome uh, to help animals grow. Well, in particular, um, you know, that's, that's wide ranging. We've done a lot of interviews on microbiome, et cetera. Sure. I wanted to talk to you about, uh, I guess they call it clean meat or lab grown yeah. uh, meats. So what's, uh, yeah. particularly in that area, what kind of uh, companies are you working with and what's the interesting projects they're working on? Well, we're we're, um, we're not uh, helping any of them uh, market yet. We're uh, dealing somewhat in the category, and we've done some research on uh, clean meat. And especially as it affects some of our other clients, uh, some of them, of course, are uh, dealing with uh, what you might call conventional meat. And so, you know, high interest in the subject matter. And clearly, as some of these technologies, because, uh, frankly, they're so well-funded, come into the mainstream or try to do so, they're going to have an impact on what people are eating. So what, uh, what I mean, you know, to you, I'm sure it's obvious, but, you know, to listeners that may not know, what's the uh, yeah. benefits of having, you know, lab-grown meat versus, uh, you know, raising and slaughtering billions of animals? Yeah. Well, uh, of course, that term that you use, clean meat, is uh, what a lot of these companies are talking about. And uh, although... Uh, you know, the the initial cells uh, come from live animals. Once those cells are, you know, harvested, uh, that that meat can be grown in a lab. And, that, you know, this is not a new concept. The, the basic technology to do that has been around for lots of years, but probably uh, in the last five years, I think maybe the uh, first time I saw a company present on it was probably South by Southwest Eco maybe five years ago. Uh, Companies now are realizing, like, hmm, the technology is there to grow these cells. Could we make those cells, uh, you know, into a steak? And what <clears throat> the benefits, uh, which, you know, which haven't been quantified, but, you know, theoretical benefits are less water use, less energy. And then, of course, you're not, uh, you know, quote unquote, harvesting a live animal. What you're doing is harvesting this out of, uh, we want to say, uh, you know, a, right now, a petri dish or a test tube, but, you know, in the future, perhaps some larger, you know, growing medium, whatever it might be. And so uh, the promise is efficiency and uh, less impact on the world. Yeah, I mean, from what I know, you know, at home, my wife will get like uh, organic grass fed meat. You know, it's supposed to be sure. a lot better, supposedly, you know, uh, yeah. conventional food grown on in concentrated farms. They given antibiotics and hormones, et cetera, conditions may be yeah. bad, there may be pathogens. You know, with uh, lab-grown meat, I guess you wouldn't get any of that, you'd hope. 
Um, yeah. And so it seems like uh, that's why they call it quote unquote clean meat. You hope it would be. Yeah. And you know, there, there are some, uh, hurdles to overcome. Uh, one of them right now, you know, a big hurdle is cost. And, you know, of course you'd think that some of that would be conquered when it's scalable, but right now, uh, a fact that, that most people don't understand that don't know is that those cells are, are grown in uh, serum de- derived right now from the blood of animals, which is a very expensive process. And it still does involve, you know, a live animal. So the big challenge in that industry is, can you find a way to grow those cells without uh, having it grown in this medium of serum, which other things in addition to that, but, you know, could you grow it in uh, some kind of plant-based medium, sugar-based medium, uh, in order to really live out that promise of uh, clean meat? So I think people are looking at the clean as well as uh, the scalability of it and the and the you know and the ability theoretically right to do it just about anywhere uh if that you know if those technological uh challenges could be conquered well what are some of the big challenges in growing meat in the lab uh, you know well, I mean, you, 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 know, you said it still involves animal serum but what are what are like the major roadblocks right now yeah i mean animal serum uh is one and now you have these interesting uh you know titles that are are uh, coming out like culinary biochemist is one that I've seen around lately. Um, so you have to have the medium in which to grow it. And then the real challenge going forward is going to be, okay, I c- you could take the cells of muscle and you know replicate these cells. The food that we're accustomed to eating, however, is this complex mix of muscle cells, fat cells, connective tissue. I mean, it sounds kind of clinical and almost gross if we talk about it that way. But, you know, if you bite into whether it's a hamburger, which is those things all ground up together, or into a steak or a lamb chop or a chicken breast or something, uh, what, what we think of as meat is a complex mix of all those things. So, you know, the question is, could you, can you, will you be able to, get a mix of all these cells to grow together in a way that, uh, you know, humans find uh, palatable. I don't Are you familiar with this uh, term called the uncanny valley? I've heard of it, but maybe you could explain it for listeners. Yeah. Well, you know, the uncanny valley came out of uh, robotics with this idea that robots would <clears throat> look like uh, people and, you know, people would react to them. But, but then uh, there was this recognition that, um, they don't look quite right. Their facial expression is not quite right. And so people find that disconcerting, like babies find that disconcerting. You know, uh, people find that disconcerting. It's almost, you know, like a little bit of a creepiness factor. So uh, right. one thing that I've <clears throat> been reading about a little bit lately is there's this, uh, you know, the uncanny valley can also be applied to things like uh, food for instance, or lab-grown meat, you know, and it it made me think of one time uh, as a kid, you know, we had buttermilk in the house, and my my brother gave me a glass, you know, here, let me pour you a glass of milk, and it was buttermilk, and, you know, I drank it, and it was like, I wanted to spit it out, because my brain was telling me, oh, you're going to drink a glass of milk, and instead, I got this other thing, so, you know, the question is, can uh, lab-grown meat cross you know, the uncanny valley, and, and maybe it's just training consumers to uh, for us to think that it's 
an acceptable product. So we're used to the taste and the texture, the mouthfeel. You know, all the senses are a big part, such a big part of what we eat. It's not as simple as being able to grow a cell from the leg of a cow. Well, I mean, I just give a simple example. I, you know, I took my son to like an arcade and, you know, I had a hamburger. It was okay. But then I had a hot dog the next time and it was like squishy and it was just awful. It was like, whoa, there was something wrong with it. Yeah. I don't know if it was how it was made or anything, but it, I was definitely in that uncanny valley where you're like, you don't want to touch it, you know, like curdled milk, yeah. I guess, or, uh, you know, yeah. eating a bug, that kind of thing. Right. But if I gave you a, but if I gave you some nachos and I put sour cream on them, you'd probably think, oh, good. You know, and really in essence, that's kind of curled milk, curdled milk. So, you know, there, right. there's this, there are these tricks of the mind plays on us that will, you know, play out in this area as well. So, so there are tech, the, the technical problems of, you know, growing it to scale, um, you know, which has to, like any manufacturing process has to happen. And then, um, you know, the medium that you grow it in. And then, you know, the, the, the question, there are some questions out there. For instance, I just recently saw a thing where in Australia, there was this lawsuit filed. I don't know what happened with it, but whether or not you could call lab grown meat, meat or not in Australia, mm. you know, there's a, a consumer question there. So, um, well, what is, who uh, knows where it will what go. Is, what is, what is being grown right now? I mean, have you have you tasted um, any of this stuff? And is it no, just muscle I ha- I cells they're growing? No, I haven't it's, tasted it, and, I, and it's apparently pretty hard to get a hold of. Even I've seen reports where you know journalists are doing a report on it, and um, you know the companies uh, haven't let them taste it. I don't know if it's because they don't want to you know risk whether it's going to taste good or not, or if there's an FDA concern there. Um, I haven't I haven't tasted it. I wish I could. Um, you know, I'm sure eventually we'll be able to taste it. Well, I mean, what is being grown right now? Like you, you said, there's a bunch of different. Oh, yeah, like sorry. I, you know, I, I think from a layman's sure. perspective, um, yeah, there's people fat, are there's working meat, on. There's yeah, uh, you know, beef, uh, chicken. There's a company called uh, Finless that's growing uh, replicating fish. And then uh, one of the more successful ones, I, or potentially more successful, I heard about is a company growing a foie gras, you know, a fattened duck liver in essence. And the right. reason that, um, you know, I haven't tasted that, but, you know, which is illegal in some areas like uh, San Francisco, I think it's illegal. Um, but one of the um, uh, reasons that, that that might be interesting is that because it's, it's basically very fatty cells that are similar. And apparently, you know, in theory, uh, it's easier to grow. And it, it, it's showing promise uh, from what I've seen in being able to be grown in like um, a sugar, a, more of a sugar type medium, because um, it, uh, you know, because that's, it, produ- it promotes these fatty cells. So it could be, you know, something crazy happens like you have cultured foie gras in a restaurant in San Francisco because, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's legal to grow there. So you know, but somebody right, will probably, and, and somebody will probably file a lawsuit around that, right? Because the original cells will have to come from a, a live duck or a live goose, I guess. I don't know. Well, again, yeah, and you said the, that uh, the stuff being grown, it it can't just be muscle cells. It also has to be fat cells and a couple different kinds of cells. I mean, yeah. Do you know if even though you may not have tasted it, do you know what has been grown? Are companies right now only at the stage where they're growing just muscle cells, like a muscle burger 
that's gross, you know, and doesn't have the fat? Or yeah. are they no, I, are I, they getting pretty close? You know, where are they at? I you know companies yeah companies say that they are close. Like there's a, a company out of Israel, Future Meat, that says that they're two to three years away from uh, having a viable product. Yes, companies are saying that they're close to having these combinations of cells. And, uh, you know, just a, a few years ago, I think that first, you know, cultured meat hamburger was uh, said to be like $330,000 a pound. And then now companies are saying it's down to like $19,000 a pound. Still a ridiculous price, but compared to 330000 like, wow, that's progress. And then Future Meat is uh, saying that they, you know, and there's no way to, you know, Prove or disprove that they. I saw a report from them saying that they were at three hundred and thirty-six dollars a pound, and that they hoped within two three years to have it for you know I don't know somewhere between three four five dollars a pound, which obviously would make it a uh, a potential consumer product. So whether they can do that or not, uh, I don't know. You know, well, there seems like within meats. Well, within meats though, like if you make. A, uh, a hamburger in the lab or a sausage, you know, or a hot dog. I mean, they're accused of being made in the lab anyway. You know, it's much less yeah. likely. To, it, it seems like it'd be a lot easier for it to pass muster than a steak, which looks like it has a complicated structure and all that. So my guess is that yeah. the first things that will be out there will be like hamburgers or you know, mystery meat, <laughs> essentially. Ground, yeah, you know, ground I, you know sure. I mean, it's pretty easy to see uh, some, you know, go to YouTube or Vimeo or wherever and, and see some of these companies. The, you know, the products you see are like a hamburger or, you know, a favorite one seems to be like a taco because it's, yeah. you know, sort of ground beef. Just like, um, you know, some of those products you see where it's uh, shredded soy protein or whatever is in a taco or nachos or, you know, something where, frankly, you're also adding a lot of other spices and things and other ingredients. So it's probably, you know, pretty easy to mask that stuff. Um, you know, but, but one of the things that's, that's, that's also interesting in this area, or at least I think so, and, you know, uh, full disclosure, it's one of our clients, but this client CoBank, which is a large funder of various things. And um, they have these economists and they did this study where the projected global, globally meat consumption as well as you know, plant-based, continue, projected to continue to grow significantly between now and 2030. Like they're projecting because of growth and uh, increased prosperity in the world, like a 40% increase in meat and plant-based protein consumption growth between now and 2030. So, uh, you know, all slices of the pie are projected to grow, not just you know, the plant-based or lab-grown, but, con you know, what you might call conventional meat consumption as well, because other countries, whether it be China and, and other developing parts of the world, are increasing demand for these products. What Of the meats, which ones seem to be the, the most advanced in terms of production? Chicken, beef, fish, or it's a race for, uh, you know, for people I, to, to get there? I think it's a race for the finish line, uh, you see, the, the the prototypical photo you see seems to be of beef, but, um, you know, companies seem to be having um, bigger companies. Memphis Meats has chicken, beef, you know, finless. I don't know where they are with the uh, chicken flesh. The, so it, it seems to be, the technology is pretty much the same. 
so, uh, you know, it doesn't matter really. I mean, the concept of the cells is pretty much the same. The only one that I've heard that's significantly different was the foie gras, and that's because, uh, you know, those fatty cells potentially can be grown in a slightly different medium. Those problems, I mean, we all know how technology is going to go in any realm. So those problems are probably going to be solved. You know, that'll get figured out how to do that. What about in terms of need? You know, uh, does beef take a lot more resources to produce than chicken? I mean, from what I've seen, that's the case. And uh, chicken doesn't yeah. seem to be, I mean, maybe it's eaten more than beef. I mean, where's the big leverage points in the in this? Where's the big headway going to be first, do you think? Well, uh, you know, the, the first thing will be, uh, you know, can they conquer the cost and taste barriers? And then, uh, you know, th- this could be the great equalizer where maybe all these cells can, uh, you know, replicate uh, evenly. I don't think anybody knows that yet. I mean, maybe some scientists have ideas about that who are working in the lab. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at the uh, what they call feed conversion, you know, if you take a pound of some kind of food, corn, soybeans, grass, whatever, um, you know, fish are really efficient because they're, uh, you know, they don't have to really carry their own body weight around. Chickens are efficient, beef not as efficient. And then, you know, you get into consumer preference too of, um, you know, I think it's interesting when you look at the lifestyle, life cycle impact of a certain food product or whatever, Um, you know, my uh, daughter-in-law's father raises some cows, which are how a lot of, you know, beef is raised in the country. It's not these massive herds for the most part. Um, So if they're just out there on the family farm grazing grass that's growing because it rains, you can calculate the impact of that. But, you know, that's, that's a different impact than if you were, you know, pumping water out of the ground, those those cows are eating in a, you know, naturally fed pond, for example, in this instance I'm thinking about. So um, some of those life cycle uh, environmental costs, um, you know, they're um, they're accurate, but you know, I, maybe the the cost of those resources can vary whether or not those resources would have been there anyway or not. And the, you know, in some ways the um, you know, the meat and another category that's really growing and there's a lot of interest is uh, plant-based protein. There's a, there's a, a study, uh, actually someone I know, uh, Rachel, this woman, Rachel Cheatham, she's a PhD researcher. She founded this company called Foodscape. She does this annual global assessment of trend and plant-based protein is one of the biggest food trends globally in the last two years that's been rising up interest in that around the world. So, you know, it sounds like you're in contact with a lot of different uh, companies, you know, doing work for yeah. a number of them. What are you seeing overall for the industry? Uh, you know, what's what's in store for it over the next few years? Is this long-term until we really see these meats in restaurants or at uh, supermarkets, or are we getting real well, close? I, sure. I think you're getting real close to seeing those products out there. Um, you're in Austin, Texas, right? Yeah. Or are you? Okay. So, yeah, I'm in Austin, um, Texas. Yep. Yeah, you're in okay. You're in Austin, Texas. I spent a fair amount of time in Austin. And um, for instance, uh, in the plant-based area, the Impossible Burger is on the menu at Hop Dottie, which is you know kind of a high-end oh, nice. burger place. Yeah, and it's so it, yeah. You, you, go try it. I see what you think. Um, it's it, it got on there last summer, fall, or something like it. I had it. I think about last November or so. And um, so. And the, the Impossible Burger, which is a plant-based product, 
is on the menu at TGI Fridays, and now um, it's it's on uh, you know a lot a lot of menus around the country. White Castle has Impossible Burger sliders, not everywhere, but right. at certain test outlets. And so when you start to see some of these products penetrate the mainstream, I don't think Hopdotty is going to convert to only plant-based burgers, but you know, so far that's staying on the menu, probably for just an additional option for groups of people that come there. And you know, frankly, it tastes a hell of a lot better than the average black bean burger. It's a good option for people who want that choice in their diet. Well, and I think more to, and more uh, of that is going to occur. Yeah, well, what's going to make it become mainstream? I mean, like, you know, it seems like, um, I guess the, the the product that has the most adoption is milk. You know, I've seen, and we've tried yeah. hemp milk, goat's milk, sure. cow's milk, pea milk, almond milk. Yeah. I mean, every everything in the, in the world. Milk. You know, yeah. <laughs> so that, I mean, I don't know how much of the market it represents versus, you know, normal dairy milk, but at least it has a presence, a significant one. So, I mean, what do you yeah, think interest- it's going to take for, for mass adoption of this stuff? Well, um, you know, and dairy is an interesting category because uh, fluid milk, you know, cow's milk consumption uh, down, the milk that goes to cheese and, re- and yogurt and related products up. So it depends upon what, you know, consumers want. Uh, for there to be mass adoption, one of the really interesting things, and if and if I own one of these companies, and I'm sure what they are studying, is there's a significant difference between older population and younger population. So we, we just uh, did some consumer research on uh, lab-grown, well, food labels in general, and then specifically some things related to protein and alternative protein, including lab-grown. And lab-grown... A lot of people say no way right now, but that's probably because it's so new that they don't really know about it. And it's like, what in the heck is that? Are you kidding me? It sounds so <clears throat> science fiction. So it's really going to be incumbent on those companies to do a good job of <clears throat> bridging that gap. The uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the um, <clears throat> sorry, it's going to it's okay. really going to be incumbent on those companies bridging the gap between you know the ick factor of Everybody conjures up white coat, laboratory, test tube. Yeah, I don't really want to get my steak from there. <clears throat> right, right, right. So that's part of what's happening. But um, especially when you get to, so, you know, the jury's probably out on lab grown to get people to, to accept that idea. Plant-based, there's a clear difference between, let's say, 18 to 24 and consumers, especially like 55 and older. Younger consumers are indicating that they're much more interested in trying or adopting plant-based. So if I were a marketer in that area, I'd really be looking at those younger consumers. Uh, There's a separate study we did looking at 18 to 24 attending college or planning to attend, you know, secondary or a a post-high school uh, education. And they are, they rate their likelihood of trying plant-based alternative in the within the dining you know facilities on campus six out of a ten right. so they're they're very interested in that whereas um, in the the original study I mentioned um, there's like three percent of the 55 and older are interested in plant-based protein for this specific question versus for a definite yes 20 percent of the 18 to 24 for 20 percent versus three percent so that younger audience, wow much more predisposed to this concept. Hmm. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. How do you? I mean, and part of that is because the products so are better and better. I'm sorry. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, they also have grown up in a very different environment. You know, if you said the same thing about using technology, I'm sure the numbers would skew even further in that direction. Yeah, mm -hmm. gotcha. Um, right, and the, you how know, do you the other feel thing about is, the, um, yeah. I was just going to say, um, you know, the other thing is that the, the products are more available and they're better than better. And there used to be this old debate of, well, you know, how many people are going to become vegan or how many people are going to be vegetarian? That debate is kind of out the window. That's been replaced by people who are committed omnivores. They intend to keep eating steak, but they're also willing to incorporate more plant-based or other proteins into their diet. They have no intention of becoming vegan, but they also might go to Hop Dottie and order an Impossible Burger, or they might buy something like that in the store. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I'm, I'm like one of those people. I, I'm an omnivore. I'm never going to be vegan or anything like that, but... Uh... Yeah. It, you know, it's funny, the the invention of these meats and the proliferation of them actually would, you know, it may to make people that are vegan or vegetarian, you know, have no, I don't want to call it excuse, but, you know, be willing to be, uh, to try this stuff. If it doesn't really impact yeah. animals negatively and if it's healthier, then they may, you know, it may reduce the number of them. Yeah. I mean, it, it just gives people a different eating option. So part of where we're going is, uh, people are really embracing having options in their diet. And uh, I think it was 2016 actually was the first year that the millennial uh, generation crossed over to spending more of their money on food uh, at places other than the grocery store. It's the first time since these things have been recorded that the majority for a specific generation of people, and it's pretty, you know, it's a little bit, overgeneralizing millennials, a lot of people are arguing that's too big a group to put, you know, as oneness on them, homogenous. But mm. that group of younger people, millennials, Generation X, uh, are beginning to spend more money on food, not in the grocery store, compared to previous generations. So that's going to continue to really mix things up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How do you feel about all this stuff personally? I mean, <laughs> you know, do you have a passion for it, or you just think it's a yeah. cool curiosity, or where are you at? Oh, I, yeah, I have a passion for it. it. I mean, it's what we work on, and it's uh, working within the food system, as we call it. Uh, it's it's a really interesting time, not only just because of you know technology and what that and all those, but you know there are lots of lots of things happening, and and some of these you know alternatives are funded by, you know, this isn't just, you know, some crazy guys in California. These are people like, you know, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, huge, you know, family foundations, names everybody would know, funding some of these things, major venture capital. So there is big money being put into lab-grown as well as uh, plant-based protein alternatives. So this is not just going to be, you know, who knows how it will survive, but it's not just going to be a flash in the pan. And, you know, it's very interesting <clears throat> to be in the space. And, you know, I think it's also putting more and more pressure on the conventional food producers. I mean, we haven't even talked about, uh, you know, the idea of uh, controlled environment agriculture, which is uh, so much of uh, the greens. I, you know, I'm talking to you from Milwaukee right now. Um, if I go to the grocery store over the hill from our office here, the salad I'm going to buy there 
was grown in a greenhouse in northern Illinois, not in Salinas, California. And uh, it's grown there all year. So some of these technologies are causing a tremendous shift in our food system in a lot of interesting and probably good ways. Very good. Well, what's the best way to, uh, you know, for potential clients and listeners to get in touch to find out more about the different companies you work with and the different products they're working sure. on? Well, you can track us down at uh, charlestonorwig.com, certainly, and then uh, find me as well as, uh, you know, my email, mark.g at charlestonorwig.com. Uh, happy to talk to you and happy to share ideas. Uh, we have a lot of passion for the subject matter. Uh, you know, for me, uh, some say the world pivots on oil or water. You know, we all get pretty grumpy if we haven't had food like in the last <laughs> three or four hours. And so um, I think it's really an interesting place to be. And there's, uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of great work to be done. And so it's it's fascinating. So mark.g at charlestonorwig.com. Very good, Mark. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. All right, Rich. Fun talking to you. Hey, listen, there, go over to Hop Dottie. Have an Impossible Burger. You can do it yet today. I was just looking it up. I was just looking it up, actually. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to probably going to go tonight, actually. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I, although, you know, last two times I went, I had the Impossible Burger just because, you know, I kind of like, where can I find it? I got to have it. Um, cool. But next time I'm having a beef burger. Sorry. <laughs> True That's confession. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.